Four check rides in five weeks, $12,982. I had the wonderful opportunity to interview Derek Piva, who did this. I'm talking $12,982 total for the IFR rating, the commercial rating, the CFI, and the CFII. You want to know how he did it? Let's find out. I'm also making this intro because the intro to the actual podcast, it didn't really turn out amazing because we just ended up getting right into the conversation and he was on a roll. So I kind of just said, you know, let's go for it. So, um, all you guys can see where we started off. Perfect. Derek Piva. So, um, background about how you kind of went about this. So I was just going to introduce, I'll start off like the little segment. I was just thinking probably like, you know, 10, 12 minutes. Um, just kind of get your your process of about how you went through things. I'd introduce you and uh, probably just go from there. Perfect. Cool. Whatever works. Um, but before we start, I wanted to get like a little background on kind of, you know, what you came from, what your background is, you know, like aviation, how you got started. All right. Um, well, so I started flying. Well, I started doing a write-up today, like a full write-up. It's full on Reddit. But... Um, I pulled up my logbook. I started flying in 2011, um, always being like a dream, always wanted to. And um, I always found an excuse not to do so. And then uh, we got hit by a very bad earthquake in Christchurch. And uh, I lost my house, lost my job, and I was like pretty serious. And at that point in my life, I was like, you know what, life is too short and it's too unexpected. I got to get this started. And basically, uh, within weeks of that, I went to the airport and I started taking lessons. And that's sort of like how was the beginning. But it's always been a childhood dream. But uh, with work and other responsibilities, that sort of like always got pushed aside. But then after this incident, that's when I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go for it. And... Um Okay, cool. So you said you spent $15,000 on your what ratings? So it was 12892 and that it was to get my instrument rating, my commercial pilot's license, my CFI, and my CFII. Right, let, me, let me write that down. So it was for IFR, CPL, CFI, and CFII. CPL and CFI and CFII. 12,982 for both Derek Piva. Okay, cool. Um, and then how long? You said five weeks, right? Five weeks. So I started on, I have my logbook in front of me, so I'm by no means lying to anyone. Um, so my first flight, it was on 6-2, and my last flight was on 7-19, so. A month, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. A little over a month. Cool. Yeah, 6-2, yeah, so five weeks. Sounds good. So I'll just open up with that. I'll introduce, you know, the podcast or whatever, and uh, and then I'll say your name. I'll say what you did, and we'll kind of just do a little quick 
comment because my background on this is that I am wanting to make aviation training as affordable and um, available for everybody because I think it's one of the greatest things in the entire world and there's a lot of barriers to entry especially for this industry um, and so what I'm doing is that I'm like creating a bunch of like study tools and different you know avenues and roadmaps that people can follow in order to get um, where they want to in their aviation journey so um, no, that's awesome because on the write-up, uh, I should be done with it today. It's already two pages long. I break down into all the limitations that I've had that stopped me from going from my private all the way to a CFII. Uh, and for me, it was a little bit more uh, complicated because I had to convert my New Zealand license to an FAA validation to then go ahead and start doing those. So we could also say that, well, it saved me money because I had that in the past. But uh, on the breakdown that I start writing, um, I was quoted uh, $39,000 to do the exact same thing that I was doing, that I did for 13000 So, you know, when you're paying here in New York City, $220 an hour, well, they raised like $230 an hour for 172 plus $70 an hour for the instructor, you know, it's at 300 bucks an hour, but then you also have to pay for your briefing afterwards. It's a lot of money, you know, and also the fact that I don't have a car. And every time that I go to the airport here in New York, I need to rent a car. And if you had all of those costs, it would cost me over $50,000 yeah. for something that total, including the sublet and including other things like even my living expenses, for six weeks down there and food and everything, it, it wouldn't even get close to uh, 12, 15,000 total. So yeah, it's major. That's, that's part of the, I'm actually gonna make a video coming up soon about you know operating and organizing your other parts of your life in order to make sure that you can get your aviation training paid for because it's so expensive. Um, but you said you mentioned you're from New Zealand. So I'm just trying to understand the actual background scope you have for flying like what's the complete background? i started flying in new zealand yeah so i i grew up in new zealand i was born in brazil i grew up in new zealand uh, i started flying in august 2011. um i got my private license and then i kept flying over there it's a different beast um uh, for instance for your even for your ppl you have six returns instead of one so it takes a lot longer for you to go through the whole process there. And then once you go to your commercial, you need to get five returns done. So it's going through the whole process of that and slowly being up my hours, I sort of like pay everything out of my own pockets. So, um, and was going through it and then I moved to the US and at that point, that so was six years ago. I have never flown since I got in here um every single time that i called fisdo or i called people to ask for information about how could i fly in the us uh everybody made it sound extremely hard um and it was last year that i was like pretty fed up with it and i was like oh i'm just gonna look into it and the whole process took seven days and in 10 days i had my well my validation letter in my hand that I could fly. So, and it cost me what, $150 for DPE fees. And on that same week, I was trying to get my New Zealand driver's license converted to an American license. And it took me three months and it cost me $700.
So it was Crazy. actually cheaper and faster to be able to be flying the US than to be driving the US. So, yeah. And so when you're uh, transitioning from the New Zealand to the American license, like that in itself is a whole topic of conversation. Um, so you basically had all the way up to your commercial rating in New Zealand already? Is what no, I just said my private. So the moment that I, it was not a conversion because the way that it works is once you validate your license to so an FAA license, you need to fly with both. So whenever I go anywhere, I need to take my New Zealand logbook. I also needed to take my New Zealand certificate, my new, and also my FAA certificate and one FAA medical. So you got to carry three documents with you. So it's not an independent FAA license. Uh, so basically, I need to obey by two laws. So I need to obey by New Zealand CAA and also by FAA laws. But it gets interesting where certain countries have a law that outweighs the other. And you always need to operate on the most severe one. So, for example, in New Zealand, you need a separate type rating for every single type of aircraft. So on the back of my license would say that I can fly a PA-28. So I can fly the PA-28 series and I can fly a C-172. Yeah. I cannot fly a 182. I cannot fly a 152. So every single type of aircraft, you need a type rating for that. So that's a limitation of my New Zealand license. And I need to keep the same limitations in the United States. Even though that I had an FAA license, I could not fly any other type of aircraft unless if a CFI would endorse me saying that I've been endorsed to legally fly that aircraft under FAA. So the DPE that did my conversion, that he verified my paperwork last year, he told me, he was like, your nightmares with the CAA in New Zealand will only end the moment that you get an, uh, an unrestricted FAA license. And you have two ways about it. You can either go and sit a flight test for a PPL, or given that you have all of these hours, get your instrument ready and then go and set your commercial. And the moment that you have your commercial, say goodbye to a New Zealand license, because it's not attached to that anymore. And yeah. then you are completely free uh, by FAA rules. So now uh, I'm in a, in a way, I'll, well, broke away from all of those restrictions. So now you're completely full, you know, category class restrictions of the United States that you can hop in any single engine land airplane, basically. Yes. Yeah. Even for things such as like currency. So this like, well, I didn't get to understand that until I was going through my commercial that in New Zealand, your currency is actually only valid for each aircraft type. So if you're current on a C-172 and you do your three touchdowns and goes in the preceding 90 days, you are only current on that aircraft. So if you're not current on the 172 or the 182, so you need to maintain your currency as oh, a man. class for all of them. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, stuff like that flying here in the U.S., I just like whoop, went right over my head. I had no idea even about. So that's, that's quite the uh, topic of conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's sense. that's crazy. Um, but so moving on to the um, the twelve thousand nine hundred eighty two dollars. Um, what was that like planning wise? Because obviously you had a background in flying already, so that definitely helped in regards to like the learning curve for getting all of these. But so the twelve thousand nine eighty two that is the legal requirements 
of the amount of money that you needed to pay in order to get each of those licenses, correct? Well, yes. So the way that I progressed with this, um, I came to a position that I finally had the time to go and get all my ratings done and I didn't necessarily have all of the funds. So I need to find a way to like, well, is it going to be, am I getting a loan? Am I putting this on a credit card? How am I going to go about this? And I also started to have a look and think about what's going to be my um, rate of return of this investment, you know, because of the quotes that have been given on places in New York, in places in California, everything to achieve what I wanted was going to cost me over $40,000. So that seems quite a bit of money to get the investment back. So I tried to find out what were the minimum requirements that I needed. So for me to get my instrument rating, I needed 40 hours and for, well, similar instrument time. And during that time, it would include 15 hours with an instructor. So the, how did I get there? So originally I was supposed to only do my commercial and my instrument rating. And at that point I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna go for, for it. I'm gonna go all in and I'm gonna go all the way to a CFII. So instead of like doing most of my time building with someone else, like under the foggles or being like with, uh, um, as a, with a safety pilot, I tried to do as much as I could with an instructor. And I told them like right from the start, I want you guys to quiz me and I want you guys to be tough on me. And I want you to sort of like treat me as someone that you're teaching your CFII. So moments that instead of like going and flying with, uh, with someone else, I would go and get on a simulator, which would be a little bit cheaper than being on an airplane. And I'm under 100% full IMC the whole time and going ahead and, you know, trying to figure out and being quizzed by the instructors. And I did have moments that I sort of like reached that plateau of learning. And the way that I overcame that was I approached this guy and I was like, hey, have you ever flown instrument? It's like, no, okay, you're going to be my safety pilot. I'm going to be under the foggles and I'm going to teach you out loud the whole way on this cross country how we are actually supposed to fly instrument. And the guy never even had simulated time. And I was having a difficulty, but during that flight, we did a, what, a two and a half hour long flight. I was explaining him from, from the ground up, this is how we do our instrument check. This is how we set up the GPS. This is going to be our route. This is going to be the first approach that we're going to shoot. This is going to be the second approach that we're going to shoot. We're going to go missed after this approach. And during the cross country, I'm, ask, I'm telling him out loud and he started asking me a whole bunch of questions. And at that point, I realized that I knew all of the material because I studied so hard for the ground part that it was by putting myself in a position with someone that didn't have a clue what was going on and I was forced to explain to them what I had to do, it sort of like made me overcome that plateau. It clicked. And you learned by It clicked. 100%. And that's sort of like at that moment that I realized, okay, once I get this instrument rating, it's going to be much easier for me to move on and get my other ratings. So obviously for the commercial though, that would be my next question was all the hours that you um, had in New Zealand, did they transfer over or you started from scratch at zero hours in here in the no, US? No, all, all of the hours counted. So 
basically before I went to Texas to get my training done, I believe that I had 178 hours. Okay, so out of the 178, then I added um, 35 hours <clears throat> of instrument time because I had five hours of instrument from my uh, private license training in New Zealand. And even those hours counted. So I had 35 hours of training. And the day that I passed my instrument rating, the following day I started studying for my uh, commercial. And I did my commercial check ride a week after that. And that's even counting getting my written done. Because when I went to Texas, I only had three written tests done. So I had my instrument airplane, I had my CFII, and I also did my IGI. Because someone told me they would be the exact same bank of questions. Yeah. And they were. I scored all of the tests exactly the same grade. So I got 85, 85, and 85. And I actually got all the same questions wrong. And I said the both tests over the three tests over two days. So yeah, I did. Sense. Yeah. So then once I finished my instrument rating uh, and we started training for my uh, commercial, I told my instructors one thing. I said, <clears throat> look, um, from now on, I, I want to learn how to fly commercial level from the right hand side. I don't want to do any of my training on the left hand seat. And instead of you teaching me what I need to learn, I'm going to teach you what I need to know. So I'm going to go home and I'm going to study all of the maneuvers and I'm going to watch videos online. I'm going to read about it and I'm going to come here and I'm going to try and teach you everything that I need to do for my commercial check ride. And they were like, okay. So my first day, what did I do? I steep spiral um, and I did lazy aids and we did some other commercial maneuvers and I'm flying everything on the right hand side. And I have never flown the right hand side. So from my instrument to my commercial, I believe, let me pull it up. I only had Because at some point you had to have time building time, right? Because you said you're at 178, <coughs> you added 35 for the instrument, but that still means you had about 40 left to go to get to 250 for the commercial, correct? Correct. So I had up to my instrument, up to my instrument check ride. I'm I just pulling out my online logbook now. I had 207 hours. Okay. So then from there, I had to do. 33 hours to get me to the uh, 250 for the commercial check ride. So I did all of those hours with an instructor because I already had all the requirements in terms of uh, cross country, night cross country and all of that. So I had done that in the past before. Um, so I just had to go ahead and learn my maneuvers and everything. And part of that I also did on the simulator. So I would go and teach the instructors if we had to cover a lot of ground, I'll go and sit and build my hours in the simulator, speaking out loud with them and having simulated like check rides in the sim. So that's sort of like how I was able to sit the commercial flight test. Well, I even wanted to sit the flight test on the right hand side. And the DPE told me, well, if you want, you can, but if I were you, I wouldn't because you were like making yourself more 
vulnerable. So just do it on the left hand side. And that's what I did. Um, so you did so, the check ride for your commercial on the left, but you trained for it on the right. On the right, yeah. I did only one flight before my check ride on the left hand side just to make sure that I was good to go on that. So when I set my check ride, I had 250.2 hours. So I needed 250, I was only 0.2 above that. And in order to stay within my budget and to be able to go all the way into becoming like a, an instructor, there was one thing that I always told myself, and there's one thing that I always told the DPE, who was also the chief instructor from the school. I always told him, there's, I only have one option, and it's to pass. Failure is not an option. A, I can't afford to pay for another check ride, and B, I don't have the time. So whenever we're doing anything, I gotta be able to pass it. And the moment that I tell you that I'm ready, I'm gonna be ready. So it was also like a tricky situation because it's not that I'm forcing myself to get everything done on the minimums, but I also had a budget that I needed to uh, uh, to stick together, to stick to it in order to make all of these other ratings come, come by. Um, and I think the only rating that I was unable to get was my multi and my multi instructors, which the airplane was uh, down. Otherwise, I would have gotten uh, this week. Wow, that's just like blows my mind. Um, but I liked the, your note how you said kind of check ride flying. So every time you went up flying with the instructor, you weren't learning, you were teaching. You were coming from a, a dominant perspective of I'm going to see how much you know um, information I know, and I'm going to teach it to the instructor so that way he can just fill in the holes. Pretty much. And at that point, if he was like, "Well, yeah, that's not good," and I'll be like, "Okay, show me." And as they're showing me, I'll be like, okay. And then the moment they finish showing me, I would go like, okay, my aircraft, I have control. And I'll go right away. Okay, how is that now? Okay, that's better. I was like, no, I don't want better. Let's let's do it until it's like bang on. And sometimes what I, what I would do, because on your CFI check ride, you need to be able to teach anything from your private all the way to your commercial well even atp you know even though that we are not at that level but sometimes even to break the ice i would go and like okay i'm gonna teach you like some stuff that's on the new zealand syllabus and i'm gonna teach you some maneuvers that we don't learn in the us just so i would get into the practice of uh trying to teach and how to speak as i'm flying you know like my instructors would say your flying is good but you've got to be able to sort of like break it down in an easy way and explain what you're doing and that sort of like gets tedious and that's actually sometimes like a lot harder than you may think and at that point i was like okay how about i'll teach this guy something that they don't know you know like we do different checks in new zealand that we do different like um we do things sort of like we do mountain flying as a part of the uh, ppl syllabus we also do uh precautionary landings and of course that involves low flying so i'll be like okay we're gonna do low flying right now we're gonna be 100 to 150 feet off the ground and i'm gonna teach you how to pick a field where we're gonna land because the weather is closing in it's better for us to be safely on the ground so wait for the weather to go and then we also need to be able to take off from that area again and they they love that aspect that i would go and try and find the ways to teach them something that they didn't know 
and and that really sort of like helped me to transition from being a pilot to be an instructor you know that that was the hardest part and then knocking out your double eye um was that right after your cfi obviously or it was i it was so i did my cfi on the wednesday and my double eye was on the sunday so that was really intense um the DPE, he was at a, another, another check ride in a different city. And he texted me saying that he probably would have to cancel or he would be late because he had a flat tire. Um, by the time that he got to the school, <clears throat> it was pretty late. And he wanted, he wasn't sure when his schedule was going to work. And eventually he told me, he's like, do you want to do it now? And this was seven o'clock at night already, while in the afternoon. I was like, I'm ready. If you're ready for me, I'm ready for you. And I didn't start doing my flight until 10 o'clock at night. So I did my full CFII at night. So it's all, it was pretty like, that was the hardest check ride. The CFI check ride was fun. I like enjoyed. I had a good time with the, with the DPE. It was like having a laugh and, it's sort of like my whole approach to make something <clears throat> fun and enjoyable. And that's the way that I want to be with my uh, students and make them sort of like, you know, really see the joy of flying and there are things that are hard, but also make them understand the seriousness of it. So this is sort of like the feeling, the vibe that I wanted to give to the DPE. It's like, you know, I want my students to have a good time, but I'm going to be tough on him whenever I need to, to be. And that's sort of like the way that I treated my, the DPE during the whole process, you know, it's like, we're going to check this, we're going to check that, make a joke. And then he'll proposally make a mistake and I'll be like, Hey, don't do that. And this is why we don't do it. And I'll have control. Let me show you how we're going to be doing it. So I enjoyed the check ride, but the double eye at night, it was like so hard by not having visual reference and it's truly relying on the instruments and teaching the, the DPE, the aircraft didn't have uh, lights on the instrument, so it's holding a flashlight. So that just took everything to a whole new notch. Nice. But it, it worked out. Well, you got it done, and that's what mattered the most. Um, from the outside perspective looking in, my biggest concern would be, like, I think about just like your average human, how much time it actually takes to really understand and absorb material. You know, and so when someone, when I first saw your post, like, oh, you know, five weeks to get all this done, I was thinking, like, how in the world do you learn all that, but then at the same time retain that information in the long-term storage, you know? So I was kind of wondering what your perspective on that was. I think it's a long time coming, and um, I think different people have different ways that they can um, store that knowledge, you know, uh, for me. I thought that this worked because like I have never been so prepared like I have but also you got to understand that my check rides especially for like a CFI were done I think in a very different context than everyone else I used to be doing theirs basically most people they go for their check ride and they have their binder with all the PTS material and they're sitting there and the DPE is going okay uh, tell me about this, you know, and they go and screw through the page and they go for that. So the DPE mentioned to me that someone 
he heard about someone doing a presentation about an area um, of their check ride. And then I told him, I was like, how would you feel if when I do my check ride, I take the lead and you just watch and you just feel free to ask questions whenever you want. He goes like, it's your check ride, you do what you want, but you know, you just gotta be prepared. So I went ahead and I did what, I think it's over 300 slides covering every single area on the PTS. So for me to go and develop that, I am actively studying and something that that I find it funny, they, they say that <clears throat> a private pilot's license, your license to learn, and it's correct. And I think once you reach into a CFI, that's when you really have this license to learn because you get into this hole. The more that you dig about an information, it, it feels like the less you know. And the more intrigued you are to find out why are we doing this? Why, why don't you do it this other way? And there's a reason for everything. So I start getting really dug into this whole uh, doing this presentation because I thought to myself, when I do this presentation, I not only probably going to impress the DPE, but I'm also developing a material that I can take anywhere with me and use this material to teach a class or to teach a student. So I'm basically already knocking down all my lesson plans. I'm knocking down the requirements that the DPE have, and I can also knock down probably an aspect of a job interview. Someone asks like, oh, what's your approach? Hey, have a look at my presentation. So I wanted this to be sort of like uh, a tool that would fit to many different areas. You know, I'll plug this in right now to your studio and we're gonna stream live and like, hey, okay, you guys never flown before. We're gonna talk about aerodynamics. Okay, we're gonna talk about uh, human factors, you know, fundamentals of learning. We're gonna talk about weather. So that helped me to understand the material and also gave me this awesome encyclopedia reference material that I can go back and I can use it for my own game and also for my student to understand. And at the point that I'm sitting in front of the DPE and he's sitting down and my slides are going on the projector, I'm taking the lead. You know, like right from the beginning, it's like, hey, welcome. Uh, this is like, we're gonna go through my check ride today. These are the requirements. So I need to have this. And then the next slide is a copy of my logbook. And then I need to be above uh, 21 years of age. There's a photo of my ID. I need a medical, the next slide's my medical. So it's like breaking it down to a level that the DPE is holding a piece of paper with the PTS. I'm just like shooting every single things that he needs to check that I have an understanding. So I was taking the lead throughout the whole process. And if you have any question, he would raise his hands and like, okay, what's your question? And I'll be like, good question. And these are the reasons. And so that sort of like helped me to take the lead I set up the pace of the uh, check ride, and I also started using the whole aspects that I learned on, during the FOIs. It's using like different multimedia used, you know? So there was this great video from, by the AOPA Safety Institute. It's about this guy who planned this cross country to Nevada, and he ended up killing his whole family, right? So 
I put that video right at the beginning. And that was like, I told the DP, I just want this sort of like to set the tone. Everything else that I talked about on the PTS, I always had the video to reference because that could be something that someone saw a video and they can see all the mistakes done because they decided to bypass a weather briefing because they didn't take into consideration uh, oxygen requirements because the guy didn't know how to use his aircraft because he had no knowledge of his autopilot. So I was always using the material reference to a context that the instructor or the student or the DPU would know because they saw this video. So that really helped me to sort of like develop this material and to be able to retain this knowledge. And like now, as times goes on, I can easily go back and review this material that I built and my knowledge is going to be current, hopefully. Yeah, it sounds like uh, what I would call the, uh, the alpha approach to uh, your training is you get in there and, you know, you set the tone on your DP, like, like he said, you know, you walked in, you, you had the, the slides, everything ready to go because you were so prepared that by the time you showed up, you said, I know 100% exactly what I'm talking about. And at the same time, you have a slide on the screen. That slide is a, a, a memory device for you as well to bring up information that you studied to, to go along with that slide. So I love it. I think that's, this is an awesome perspective on aviation training and, and how to knock it out. Um, in a very quick and efficient manner. Um, and your New Zealand filing, fi flying, it sounds like it was a little bit more difficult in regards to the standards um, because you had a lot of extra stuff that you had to do, more tests as well. So you really knew your stuff as well coming into it. Yeah, but also you got to remember what made it hard for me was that up to last year, I haven't flown for, well, nearly six years. So, but I don't know, it's something that I never wanted to lose and it's sort of like something that I never wanted to like let that knowledge go away. So even though that I was not flying, I'm still reading reports, I'm still like reading weather books, I'm still going online and doing a refresher course, you know, so uh, it's always been my nature to sort of like be, be current, even though that I wasn't flying. You know, so even when I did my um, flight review, it actually took a lot less time than anticipated than it would for someone who hasn't flown like in five years. So uh, I think that I had a great training back in New Zealand and uh, that sort of like set up like great fundamentals for me. And from there was just sort of like, you know, building up on the knowledge that I gained here but I just decided to take it to my approach. It's like, okay, this is the standard, but there's nothing like stopping me being able to add on to this and sort of like giving someone else a knowledge that can make them a better pilot or a safer pilot. So um, even throughout the whole process, you know, I would go and go to my instructors or to the DPE after, hey, like this is like the standard, this is the syllabus in New Zealand. These are things that they teach there. Why are you not teaching this here? And they're like, well, because you know, for here it doesn't work because this, this, this and that. Or like, hey, this is great. Maybe we should be using. And as a matter of fact, they asked like for copies of, of all of my materials from like the New Zealand material so they can try to incorporate some of those areas just to make someone a better pilot. You know, you can always be a better pilot. You can always learn more. Amen. And uh, I, I like that. It opens up an international conversation. 
Um, but on top of that, I, especially with JPL Aviation, my podcast that I run, I focus on leaders in aviation, you know, people who really have succeeded in this. In your case, you, you've definitely come after your, your aviation journey with a tenacity that's very admirable. Um, but I interview people who have like, you know, gone above and beyond in the big picture of aviation. And so I was wondering what happened for you in that six years of flying that made you get out of flying, but eventually, obviously, you found your fire again and got back into it, if you don't mind me asking. So, that passion always been there, and, you know, and it took sort of like a, a natural disaster and to put me right under stress and sort of like have your life flash, uh, well, you believing that you, you're gonna about to lose your life, being involved like in, a, in an earthquake to be like, oh, cool, I'm gonna go and chase this now. You know, uh, I'm actually a chef, you know, I work in New York City, uh, being an executive chef here for like four or five years now, uh, well, pre-COVID. So for me, it's, we always find the reasons to sort of like put things aside and not really try to go ahead and get what we want. You know, it's so easy to go and something that you've been planning and you cancel that plan and... I'll do it another time, I'll do it another time. And unfortunately for me, it took for me to lose my job and be quarantined at home to be like, now is my time to go and do this. But it's all about compromise, you know, but it's tough, you know. I think that sometimes we have a passion and we have a desire to do the things that we want and we always get sidetracked, but I think for anyone out there that sort of like wants to go ahead and become a CFI and get their thing done, it's just like, just go for it. You know, like don't, don't find an excuse. And right now I heard so many people telling me like, well, but look how many pilots have lost their job right now. There's all these people with no work and who knows about the airlines. It's like, you realize that in aviation, it's not all about the airlines. We have like, hundreds of different ways that we can be involved and not all of us want to be involved with that and and who cares you know go ahead and follow your passion and, and do what you want and then you're gonna figure it out you know you don't need to chase the money you don't need to chase everyone else's dream you know if you want to go and be an egg pilot go and be an egg pilot regardless of what people think it may not be the prestigious job that you want some people want to be teaching and just want to be a cfi I'm pretty happy to be teaching and like, it's probably gonna get boring and get and get annoying sometimes, but you know, that's one thing that I used to tell the DPE and this is one thing that he said, it's like, well, you wanna be a CFI, you realize that's gonna get boring. Sometimes it's just gonna be up and down, up and down, doing touch and goes the whole time. And my response to that is like, and who cares? At least I'm flying, you know? So if you have that sort of mentality that you are going to be doing something that you enjoy regardless of what it is that should be your drive and just go for it you know just follow that dream and it's never too late you know i'm 31 years old and most of the kids there are you know on their late teens on their early 20s and and it doesn't matter you know like if i do decide to go into the airlines i still have like 34 years in that career but it doesn't matter if I would only have five years before I have to retire. As long as you do what you want to do, that's what it matters. So what's next for you? I 
well, if you know anyone that's looking for a CFI or CFII, I'm open. Um, I just want to fly. Um, hopefully, uh, I'll be able to find some students here in the New York area. Um, but I would love to sort of like be able to go to my students. Um, I want to be able not to teach people how to pass a flight test or teach someone how to follow a PTS or an ACS. I want to help to develop the no professionals and help people to become better pilots and safer pilots. You know, we have a standard that we need to meet, but there's nothing saying that we can do above and beyond that. You know, so I want people to be good. I want people to be proficient and to understand the material and, you know, I'm just going to go with the flow and hopefully uh, have a lot of tailwinds and, and clear skies and see where this takes me. You know, I think not having a plan sometimes is a good plan. And being the uh, the checkride man and having every <clears throat> the mentality that you have in regards to aviation, I think, is a beautiful thing. Um, and so for someone like myself, who is actually having my uh, instrument checkride coming up on August 14th, um, what would be your best advice for that ride? Be organized, don't overthink, make sure that you know and understand the material, and relax, you know? Um, and I'm not sure which aircraft you're flying, but remember, trim is your friend, and trim is the poor man's autopilot. Have that airplane trimmed, and let it go of that yoke, and don't overthink. Brief yourself, be a safe pilot, acknowledge your mistakes, acknowledge your errors, speak out loud to your DPE and you know and show him that you're going to be safe that's the most important thing safety comes first in aviation we don't need to get anywhere we just need to be safe so for you do your briefing do your cross-country planning uh, mine was a pain in the butt to do um, <laughs> my DPE asked me to do a cross-country that would take seven hours and we were on 152, so we could legally, between me and him, only fly for no more than an hour and 20 minutes. So our flight time was only 40 minutes. So for my flight plan, we had eight stops to get to our destination. So take your time, study your route, um, know your material, meaning you don't need to decorate anything, but if you know where to reference things, you're good to go. Don't, I don't think you need to tab your Fahrenheit or anything like that, just get an IFR flight file and just show to your DP that you're going to be safe. That's all they want to see, you know, and for flight and Garmin pilot is your friend. If your DP can't accept that, I think he's making a mistake because what's the point of him trying to assess you on using just your equipment if the moment that you get your check ride and you're done, you're just going to use your iPad anyway. So at least show him that you're proficient and you know how to use your UFB. That sounds awesome and uh, I'll definitely take that to heart. So um, I appreciate it. Um, I appreciate your time and I appreciate your experiences and what you've been willing to share. Um, I'd also love, since you got your double eye um, off, offline sometime, if we could zoom again, I'd love to, you know, compensate for your compensate you for your time and if you'd ever want to do like a mock oral with me, I'd love to go through it because I honestly need to get my uh, skills up as well. So. Um, Sounds good. You let me know. I'm ready for you. That's something you'd be interested in. So anyways, um, I guess I'll just conclude it there. Um, thanks, Derek, for coming on the show. 
Um, and that's JPL Aviation, where leadership in aviation take off. So thanks, guys.